0: That's amazing. Thank you so much, Derwin. And it is such a privilege to be here with you today, Hillside. Uh, As he said, my name is Alita. I'm on the teaching team at The Way in Vancouver, and I bring my greetings from our whole team at The Way. I just chatted with Jason this morning. He says hello, and I know that you mean a lot to Jason Ballard, of course. And um, as it was mentioned, I am married to my husband, Ryan, and we have four kids. I think we have a picture to show you. And uh, we are a wild, loud bunch of people, three boys and a little girl at the end. And it's lots of fun. And this morning, actually, before I was leaving to come here, my husband, we have this thing where anytime I go to teach or do any sort of ministry, he always lays hands on me and prays for me and just sort of commissions me. It's a really important part of the process for for me. And this morning as he was doing that, um, he took an unusual amount of time to pray for Hillside. And I noticed it. And he just prayed some really good things that I want to share with you. He just prayed that uh, the Lord would bless you that the lord would just expand your ministry here he prayed that many people in your neighborhood and city would come to know jesus because of your location here so i just echo that i, I want you to know that the friesen family out in langley is praying for your church community and so all that to say so thrilled to be here with you as you're in the series on the book of matthew and as we just heard it read we are in matthew chapter five today And this is a part of the book of Matthew that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the part um, that we're going to begin today, because it gives so much, Jesus gives so much, just really profound and practical teaching, something we can just really sink our teeth into. And so today we're going to listen in as Jesus is teaching his followers about anger. And I don't know about you, but I do not, or I have not, considered myself somebody who really deals with anger. Like I don't have an anger problem. I don't need to go to anger management. Nothing like that. And then I had kids. Um, I'm joking, but only kind of, because the reality is that I had no idea until I had my kids, who I love dearly, that I could be so quick to anger. That stuff that shouldn't bother me really didn't just bother me, but like put me on this whole other level. It like brought stuff out in me that I didn't even know was in there, if I could just say it that way. And so I want you to know that as I was preparing for this teaching today, this was something that that I'm not just teaching at you all. This is something I needed for me, something that I needed to be taught as well, a lesson for me. So as we just before we get into the lesson today, let's just, let's just pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we ask that you would teach us. Jesus, as you taught your followers about anger all those years ago, we come before you, and we open our hearts to you, and we invite you to do a deep work in us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister through this avenue of screens and whatnot during this strange time of life, but we know that nothing is impossible for you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us today, unearth things that need to be unearthed. We, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do what you need to do in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was studying Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 this week, there are, um, as I see it, three movements to this story. So I want to give you a bit of a roadmap for where, where we're headed this morning. Here's the first thing we're going to see. The first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is going to identify a problem. And then the second thing he's going to do is give us some examples. And then the third thing he's going to do is give us a solution to the problem. Okay, so first thing, he's going to identify the problem. Second, give us some examples. Third, give us a solution to the problem. And if you're taking uh, notes today, the title of today's message would be called Radical Reconciliation. Because here's the goal of today. We are going to talk about anger, but we aren't going to stay there. The goal is to move toward reconciliation, and we're going to see that Jesus does this as well. So as I said, here's the first thing we're going to see in this text. Number one, Jesus is going to identify the problem. Verse 21, he says, You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So the people have already heard it said, do not murder. Now, where would they have heard this? Well, if we rewind in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, which they would have all known, all of his followers would have been well-versed. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about, that they would have heard in the Ten Commandments, do not murder. So most of the people listening to Jesus at this time, probably like you and I, were going, yep, okay, do not murder. Easy. I didn't wake up this morning thinking about murdering anybody, never have, probably never will. Out of all the Ten Commandments, that's probably the easiest one to follow. So I can just check that off the list. Done. Boom. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you've heard it said do not murder, but then he goes on in verse 22 and says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. So do not murder is what they had been taught, and they had been taught correctly. But Jesus expands on this teaching and says, don't, just not don't murder, but don't even be angry. He takes it a step further. He's expanding on this commandment. He's not contradicting it. So Jesus, Jesus basically goes on to say, listen, murder isn't the real problem. It's a problem, but really it's a symptom of the bigger problem, the root of the problem. The deeper issue here is anger. Um, years ago, my dad um, was having all sorts of health issues, and he was seeing doctors and this happened over several years where he was in and out of doctors. They were changing his diet, they were giving him medicine and all sorts of stuff and finally, one doctor, again, after years of this, said, "Oh, you know, I think it's your gallbladder and so they removed his gallbladder shortly within a week, and all the symptoms gone so Here, over all these years, every doctor had been treating the symptoms, but the thing kept coming back up, and it kept coming back up. And it wasn't until they removed the root of the problem, which was the gallbladder, that all of the symptoms went away. And the way I read this is like a good doctor, Jesus here is getting to the root of what's actually behind murder. And I think that this levels the playing field a little bit for all of us. Because you and I may not have desires to murder anyone, but we've all been angry, haven't we? I mean, I don't care how old you are, what season of life you're in. I mean, my two-year-old, when my daughter was two, I mean, I saw her get angry. Like, we have all been angry. So let's talk about this for a second, break it down, because what is anger? Well, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, this is how anger is defined. It's a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. A strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. I want you to know that there are times when anger is appropriate. When anger is the right response to certain things. Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 verse 26, he says, Be angry. He says it. Be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. The implication here being that there are times when the right response is, in fact, anger. Listen, we should get angry over child pornography. We should get riled up over human trafficking. We should get mad over systemic racism. I mean, Jesus got angry. We see him get angry in the Bibles over the money changers in the temple who are using the temple for something it ought not have to be used for. And if you grew up in the church, this is something that we often call righteous anger. I like to call it healthy anger. Healthy anger is an anger over injustice or or a wrong that's been done. It's a good kind of anger. It's healthy. But that's not the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. And there are actually—the New Testament was written in Greek. And there are two words that uh, you could use for anger— And so the first word that you could use for anger is the word thumos. And I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson, but I do think that this is really important. Thumos is the first word for anger that you could use. And it's a word that means it's like a quick flare-up of anger. It's something that comes up really quick, but it goes away really quickly. Think about driving and you get cut off in traffic. You get angry really fast, but, you know, 10 minutes later, you're at work. Or you've got Starbucks in your hand, and you're like, "I'm good, I'm fine." You're not mad anymore. That kind of anger, right? Or we, for me, step on your kid's Lego in the middle of the night, and you're just like, "Oh!" Comes up really quick, and then it goes away really quick. Easily ignited, but easily extinguished. That's thumos anger. The second kind of anger that the Greeks used um, is the word orgizō. and this is a deeper kind of anger. It's kind of anger where you brood over something. You know, that kind of anger where you just won't or you can't move on. A grudge. Where thumos is more like like a moment of anger. Or gizo is more like a state of anger. Both types of these anger are not okay, but it's the second one, this orgizo kind of anger that, which, that Jesus is talking about here. That's the, the Greek word that's used in, this, in Matthew 5 here. This is the kind of anger he's addressing, the kind of anger that we just allow to fester inside of us. Now this word is also, just stick with me here for a second, this word is also a present participle. I know, that's confusing. I'm not an English major, so I'm just going to tell you what it means. This, if we were to read it, to, to literally translate this word or out of the Bible, it would be read something like this. Whoever is being angry, it's a state of anger. Dale Bruner, um, who's a theologian and a scholar, he said we could translate it this way. He said, whoever is remaining angry or whoever is nursing a grudge, this is what Jesus is addressing. Years ago, um, as, as it was mentioned, I used to live in Texas, and then my Ryan, my husband, and I, we lived in Alabama for nine years, and we lived on what we called a street of dreams in Alabama. It was like something out of a movie. Um, if you've ever seen movies of the South, we had a We lived on a street where all the the huge, like two, 300-year-old oak trees kind of went over the street like this, and it was, we loved our neighbors. We all had kids the same year, and so we were just, we had, our our neighbors were our best friends. We loved all of them. We had something every Thursday night called Sunset Thursday, where we would all come outside, and we would have appetizers on our front lawns, and a whole street of us. I mean, there must have been 40 of us. We just loved our neighbors. One Sunset Thursday... I can't remember all the details of exactly what happened, but I know that me and one of our neighbors, um, there was a miscommunication of some kind, an offense took place between us. And it was weird, it was just this misunderstanding and the night ended and it didn't get cleared up. And then one day passed, and then two days, and then a week. And the longer the thing went on, the deeper the offense went. The more awkward it got between us because then our husbands kind of had to get involved and it was weird. We were both hurting and I was stewing over that situation. I would think about it before I went to bed, I would wake up thinking about it, I would think about it every time I had to get to my car because I didn't want to see them and have to deal with it. And the longer it went on, the hurt turned into anger, the anger turned into contempt. And by the time that we had to move, we, and it wasn't because of that situation, we just needed time for us to move. We needed a bigger house. Um, We, it had been years, I think a year, two years of just awkward tension between us. And every time years later that I would think about that situation, which makes me sound incredibly immature, so I'm being very vulnerable with you right now, (laughs) and it was immature, But every time I would think about it as the years went on, I would just get so mad thinking about it. So I just kind of tucked it away inside of me and just was like, "Mm, it's going to vault that away. And I don't know if I'm alone in this. Maybe you have some sort of similar situation. But I can think of other times I've gotten mad over stuff, gotten angry over things and just let myself sit in it for a little while, maybe not for years or days, but just let myself sit in it maybe a misunderstanding with my husband, a disagreement, and just kind of let it simmer, you know, like on a low simmer all day long until he comes home from work. And then we get to have a fun conversation. <laughs> or a friend posts a picture of a party, you know, back in the day when we were allowed to do that. But a friend posts a picture of a party, and everybody that you know and is in your circle is there except for you, and you didn't even know about the thing. Immediate hurt, and the hurt turns into anger. And the anger turns into stewing. Andy Stanley, he wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart, and he says the underlying feeling of anger is this. It's you owe me. You owe me a turn signal. You owe me a promotion. You owe me an invitation to that party I didn't get invited to. You owe me an apology. You owe me, and then you just fill in the blank with whatever it is you feel like that person owes you. And one of the ways just one of the ways our anger over this kind of stuff tends to to come out is not just by, like, up and murdering somebody. It's usually through our words. Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And that word raka is a word that means empty-headed. It expresses contempt for a person's head. It's like saying, you're stupid. And the word fool is, is a term that expresses contempt for a person's heart. Or raka would be um, an attack on a person's intellect. Fool would have been an attack on their character. Both are wrong. Jesus is saying both of them are wrong. But I want to suggest to us today that ultimately in both of these situations, Jesus was getting at something very important for them and for us, and it's this, that our words bear witness to what is going on inside of us. If we fast forward a few chapters to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And as I said at the beginning of this morning, probably most of us don't really deal with this whole, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to wake up and murder somebody. We, we see the Ten Commandments, do not murder, and we're like, yep, got that one. But Jesus is deepening this thing so that it applies to all of us. We may not be murderers, but we are all talkers, aren't we? We may not wield physical weapons, but we have mouths. Proverbs 18, 21 puts it this way. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. You know, for heaven's sakes, I just think that sometimes the best thing that we can do is just keep our mouths shut. Because anger starts deep inside of us, and it works its way out, usually through our mouths. And eventually, not always, but eventually it can, for some people, turn into physical harm, and eventually, for others, murder. So this is the problem, anger, and now Jesus is going to give us some examples, and that's the second movement in the story. He's given us the problem, anger, and now examples. He gives us two examples. The first example is when you're at odds with a friend, verses 23 and 24. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave it there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. So this is kind of a funny situation here because where they were sitting, as Jesus was telling the story, they were sitting on the Sea of Galilee, which is about 70 miles from the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where the altar was. Jesus, uh, Scholars say that Jesus is using a very exaggerated um, version of this on purpose. He's trying to make a point, which is, so back then, if you wanted to make a sacrifice, you'd get an animal, you'd go to Jerusalem, go to the altar, and you would have it, you would sacrifice it and then you'd go back home. So for them, this this would have been a wild thing to go. So I'm supposed to walk 70 miles there. I get there. I'm getting ready to do the thing, and then I have to go back. Jesus is saying, yep, yes. And the point he's making is this, is that reconciliation is going to cost us something. Time, yes. It's not going to be easy. It might cost us some inconvenience, and that is part of what we have to deal with whenever we've got some stuff festering with a friend. But then he, I think even more than that, he's pointing out that reconciliation trumps even the sacredness of making an offer or an offering in the temple. If I were to translate that into today's language, it would be this. Reconcil- reconciliation is more important than you making it to church on time. It's more important than you coming in and worshiping and putting your tithe in the bucket or the offering or, or the basket or however you usually did it when we got to meet in person. You get the point. Jesus is getting at our hearts. Mark chapter 12, verse 33 love the Lord with all your heart, all your understanding, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus is more concerned about our hearts and about being in right relationship with one another than he is concerned about what we put in the offering basket, than he is concerned about uh, just coming to church on time. And for some of us, we may be able to wrap our brains around this. Okay, okay, so I need to reconcile with a friend. Okay, but then he goes even deeper. And he's like, okay, not just with the friend, but also... When you're at odds with an enemy, you need to reconcile. And that's what verses 25 and 26 are about. He says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So don't just be reconciled with the friend, he says, be reconciled also with your enemy. And the distinction in this second story is that Jesus says, Do it quickly. Be reconciled with friends. Be reconciled with enemies and do it quickly. Don't let the thing fester. It only makes things worse the longer it goes on. Because anger not only fractures our relationships with one another, it fractures our relationships with the Lord. I mean, think about this. Why would we think it's okay to yell at our kids in anger in the car and then come inside and just worship like nothing happened? Why would we think that we could have an ongoing deteriorating relationship with somebody maybe that we're in community with and we just come into church or go about life thinking, you know what? I'm just gonna ignore that person. I'm just gonna worship Jesus. Maybe, maybe God will convict them and maybe they'll come apologize to me one day. Here is what Jesus is getting at, is that our relationships with one another are directly tied to our relationship with him. There just aren't two ways about it. So Jesus gives these two examples as if to say, in other words, friend, enemy, it doesn't matter. Get right with them. Getting right with them matters. So he's given us the problem. He's given us some examples. Now he's going to give us the solution which is so good. I wonder if you noticed in those verses that Jesus does give us a way forward. He doesn't just say, okay, so don't be angry and good luck with that. Just, just stop being angry. What is the way forward? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the way forward. Um, the Greek word used here is dialasso. It's a word that means to exchange. I love that. To end needless hostility. It's a mutual concession. And there's a lot we could say here. There are all sorts of, of implications. And I just want to say to you that I know reconciliation is not always as easy as it sounds. And I want to make a distinction because there are times when people who have hurt hurt us, who, who we are angry with, are not safe people. They're actually not people we should be in a room with. And I'm thinking here of like abusive type of situations. And it's important to note that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. It's absolutely possible to forgive someone that we need to forgive without being in a a reconciled relationship. And for some of you, the best thing you can do today is just to recognize, oh, I am harboring anger, and it's been festering, and I need to forgive. But for others of you, who it is absolutely within your capacity. Maybe it's a family or a friend or a neighbor or somebody in your community, and it's possible. You should go and make things right. Absolutely. The neighbors that I was telling you about, I told you years, years went by, and there came a point in my walk with the Lord where I was just really uh, in a season of asking him to, to teach me more about him, to reveal himself to me more in a deeper way. It was such a sweet season, and I remember him being so faithful to that. But it got to a point where it felt like I was coming up against a brick wall. I don't know how else to explain it, but like, like I, I just didn't feel his presence. I, didn't, I, didn't, I was reading the Bible. I was trying to spend time with him, and I was like, what is going on? I can't even sense your presence anymore. And so I asked him, Lord, what, what, what's happening? And he didn't speak it audibly to me, but I felt it in my spirit just like, you know, just dropped in there. You need to make things right with your neighbors. You need to make things right. And I was like, nope. (laughs) That has been too long, too much. I can't go back there. And I just over and over again. And this went on for days until I knew, okay, I've got to do this thing. So thanks to the miracle of Facebook, I tracked them down. They had moved to a different state by that point. Tracked them down, called them. Apologized, got things right. And we are friends to this day. They came up here a couple of years ago, love them dearly. I mean, it was the weight that was off of all of our shoulders was so like, oh, why have we been walking around like this for so long? We all wanted to be reconciled. The solution that Jesus lays out for us in these verses is just wildly practical advice for all of us when we are in or at odds with one another. We go to the person. We make peace with them. And we do it right away. We don't delay. We do it with urgency because there's danger in letting it grow. And here is God's intent that if we aren't angry with one another— Murder won't happen. Murder happens as a result of anger. Therefore, it stands to reason if anger doesn't happen, then murder will not occur. This sounds easy, but we all have to know that it's hard. Our world does not prompt us to reconcile with one another. I mean, we just only have to watch the news to see what's going on here lately. It doesn't prompt us to humble ourselves. Our world would tell us, my agenda matters more than yours. My beliefs matter. My political beliefs matter. And if I don't stand up for myself, who's going to? I just got to have a whole bunch of self-care going on. But what Jesus is pointing to here is this reality that loving others means laying down our pride, even when we think we're right, even when we are right sometimes, It means bearing up with other people in our brokenness and that other people would bear with me and mine. I need friends and people in my life who will love me despite my brokenness. And the reason Jesus calls us to this kind of radical reconciliation, because it is radical, it goes against the grain of us, is because this is what he did for us. He laid down his life for us. Romans 5.10 says, well, we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we were still far off, he came for us. And I just want to encourage you today that if you and I are going to be radically committed to following Jesus, we have to follow him in the way of radical reconciliation. And so I just want to ask you today, are there people in your life that you need to be reconciled with? a festering anger in your heart that even now you're just kind of bothered by this. Like just this stewing, like I don't want to do this. A.W. Tozer, who I love, says this, we must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. If you would be willing, I want to invite all of us to ask the holy spirit to do his deep work in us to expose the crevices and the shadows and the pain and the vaults of the things that we've locked away that we've been holding on to i know it's uncomfortable i know it sounds like work and it is work and i don't know about you but i don't want to have an angry you i want to be free of all that mess i don't want to be an angry frustrated stewing person and more than that, as I've already said, our relationship with God is directly tied to our relationships with one another. He is not messing around when he says love one another. And here's the good news. He is for us. He has already reconciled himself, us to him. And he wants us to be free. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we do ask you to free us. Holy Spirit, reveal things in our hearts that we need to get right. And we invite you to do your deep work within us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.